This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Finnish folk metal superstars Korpaklani are about to release their new studio album, Kokia, which means Wanderer, on September 7th through Nuclear Blast. Visit NuclearBlast.com for exclusive t-shirt bundles, colored vinyl imports, and CD formats. Once again, Korpaklani are about to release Kokia September 7th on NuclearBlast.com. September 31st, the Pale Emperor returns. Kneel before your master, slaves. Marilyn Manson, the Bootleg Diaries. Here, talk, cars, clown. In the boat, Joe. Here, talk, cars, clown. In the boat, Joe. He's been shocking you for over 29 years, and now you can hear him totally inebriated, just going through the motions. Be on the lookout for the deluxe edition that includes one of the 25 Mike's Hard Lemonades Manson emptied before recording this live masterpiece. via Poopin' or Gash Records. It's the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts Petter Speich, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp. Metal Sucks Podcast. What's going on, everybody? It's I, your host, Petter Speich. I am always joined by Brandon Gooch Hahn. You and all of your loved ones can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at your buddy Gooch. And Jocelyn Sharp. You and all your hated ones can follow me at Jocelyn Sharp on Twitter and Instagram. They all hate you. <laughs> you can follow me guys at Rise to Offend on Facebook and Twitter, Rise to an Offend Official on Instagram. This week, guys, we are talking to none other than David Davidson of Revocation. We're here to talk about the phenomenal new record that's coming out September 28th, guys. It's called The Outer Ones. Make sure you pre-order it. But before we jump into the interview, we always like to talk about the Metal Sucks news. And uh, if you hear our bit here, we feel that Marilyn Manson, once again, collapsed on stage in uh, Houston. Constant professional. Or the Woodlands, Texas, if I may. It's been a rough, rough time for Manson. I think this last year especially. So uh, when, you, when we see this continually happen, but he still has to tour and tour and tour, do you guys think that uh, he, A, doesn't give a shit anymore, B, is, uh, is going to pass away on us pretty soon? What do you think? I think it's just, A, he doesn't give a shit anymore. Mm. I th- well, I think that it's probably more complicated than that. When you're on tour all the time, you don't have time to rest and think about what it is you're exactly doing. You know, if this has become his normal, then it's just his normal. You know, he probably doesn't even realize. If he, even if he doesn't give a shit anymore, he probably doesn't realize he doesn't give a shit anymore. Look, his whole career has been built on shock. I'm sure he's just bored with it. He's still putting out records, good records. The last two or three people liked a lot. He's still out there touring. He's just not showing up to perform properly for his fans. To me, I mean, it could be a self-sabotage, but he's obviously still trying to stay in the game. Watching Manson perform now, it's almost like watching a uh, like a birthday magician who's been like, let me pull the ribbit out of my mouth. It's just There's just no enthusiasm behind anything that he's doing now. Before, when we saw him back in the early 2000s, he was still into it. I disagree because he's not a nostalgia act. He's still a relevant artist. He still puts out music that people buy. I really just hope, I mean, I, that's the thing is like, that's what I hope it is. I hope it's like more boredom and I hope it's more just 
him being uninspired, then it, it could be a much more serious case of drug abuse. You know, that's, that is the last thing that we would want is to, you know, lose Marilyn Manson with that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's like, we're going to keep talking about the stories. We'll probably keep making fun, but at this point it's getting real sad. I remember all the stories about Scott Weiland, how everybody was making fun of him and how he was a hot mess and he was a disaster, yada, yada, yada. And then when he passed, it's like, ah, shit. Yeah. And I see that coming Moving on to the the next story, guys, that uh, happened here in our hometown of Las Vegas here. Attila, a band that none of us give any shits about. A band that's not relevant at all in our eyes. Nope. But uh, Chris Franzak, always in the news for doing something uh, absolutely great. This time, he sucker punched a security guard, uh, but he was protecting his fans, even though he got... He punched somebody in the back of their head when their back was turned. He's still protecting his fans, correct? According to him, he's saying that he slammed one of the concert goers to the ground here at the Hard Rock at Live. At the Hard on Rock the Drive on the Strip. So here's the audio of him um, acting like a gentleman on stage. Fuck this shit! Fuck this shit! We're never playing Vegas again! You lost this shit! Because you're bullshit security motherfuckers! This dude right here! Have you ever gotten that mad? Yes. Ever? You have, Jocelyn? No. It doesn't That's make so any ridiculous. sense. It's such an overreaction to what happened. This it's is, such an overreaction. He's acting because he didn't want to perform. <laughs> Dude, Dude that's how no I feel. no way you're going to get that insanely mad. Right, because one of the fans cr- tried to cross the barrier and the security that their job is to keep them from coming across the barrier, s- quote unquote, slam the kid on the ground. He might have slammed the kid on the ground. Even if he did. So, it's so still an overreaction. If the kid got slammed on the ground at security and he stopped the show, he'd hey, 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 this, and then he gives the people the show, I think in a lot of ways you're like, all right, I've seen that happen. Yes. But to punch somebody in the back of the head and then storm off stage, probably because you just know you, you punch somebody in the back of the head like a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like, like a straight, a up, straight bitch. up bitch. Not only in the back of the head, but standing over them. Yeah. <laughs> like, Dude, over them on a stage you and have, hitting them in the back of the head. You have high ground and the jump on this person. Yeah. A high ground bitch punch. It's like, he is the type of dude that every time he came to the party and high school you were like fuck this party's gonna suck because he always ruined it yes <laughs> if you close your eyes though it sounds like he's saying do you want to fuck with nutella and yeah, you're like, exactly. no i don't uh, <laughs> i'm not a fan of hazelnut <laughs> oh, man. cookie it's, cookie butter yes. it's not the way an adult be it's just not the way pe- i don't understand the glorification of this kind of attitude the glorification of this you know to him he thinks he's being like some some badass thug and his fans latch on yeah. at this fucking drooling mouth breather fans are like mm, yeah you badass thug and it's like you're not that's not a an adult you want that kind of person to make music for like he's not that's not the way an adult reacts and uh, that's not how an adult reacts but with an adult there's an adult consequences so he could be facing battery charges for assaulting security guards now uh what what does he think's gonna happen if you punch something in the back of the head at he, a concert i don't like that people think that being metal is being rude like that that's oh, oh, that oh, gets oh, like, no, nobody considers a till metal well that's nobody fair good so, point <laughs> good point <laughs> that's good what were you gonna say yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. The answer to that question is yes. Like what? No, my deal Why is. Why is that supposed to be so badass? That's well, because, what I don't get. Because what you're doing is you're just appeasing the fans. Like what this guy's trying to do is he's trying to say, this is how hard I go for you guys. You guys go hard for me. This is how hard I go for you. I punch an unsuspecting person in the back of the head because I believe in you motherfuckers. It's, it's like, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. And on top of that, what, okay, Attila, if you, if you trust your fans so much, then have no security guards at your next show. And watch how fucking fun that is. Watch how fun that is when your rabid idiot fans start storming your stage while you're trying to play songs. See how fun that is. See how fun that is. And then try and and then just go ahead and sucker punch another security guard. <laughs> right. Try right. and understand where try and understand where this guy's coming from before you do some dumb shit like that. And I've seen security get way out of line with fans. I've I seen it happen helped. too. But I've also seen crowd members get get way out of control with security guards. And look, both there's there's two wrongs here. There's two wrongs here. Obviously. Obviously, the guy crossed the barrier, shouldn't have done that, and I'm sure he probably tried to fight the security guard because I've seen that happen, and All then the time. guy gets slammed. I've seen it happen a thousand times just, at a thousand shows. I think this is a case of Napoleonic syndrome where some dude, I know this dude, we all have a dude in our life and our history that is like this guy that is constantly having to pump his testosterone into the air around him to prove a point. And it's the point is, look at how badass I am. Yeah. And it's like, you're not badass though. You're just like a giant baby throwing a tantrum. Yeah, this was a coked up version of Jerry Maguire's, who's coming with me? Yeah. That's all it was. And, and look, and you're 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 acting like you're trying to tell me that you've never been this upset. Now I know Pete's never been this upset. Jocelyn, I know you've been this upset. I have now. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever reached the levels that I have reached where it's like everybody needs to know how pissed off I am, and then you just cause a giant scene and you're filled with regret and you live your whole life like that. That's me. And you sucker and, punch somebody? No, I'm not, I've never sucker punched someone. But I that's have part been, of this anger. Okay, now I've never done that. Okay. I've never sucker punched. That's anyone. another level of anger. That's what I'm trying to say. But I have. But I have approached people that were trying to that were trying to start shit, and I go, yeah. And then I, I've thrown them a headbutt before. It wasn't pretty. Well, a headbutt is pretty. I think a <laughs> headbutt's a sucker punch in a lot of ways. Well, yeah. when, no, 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 not when they think they're. I don't. I no, didn't run up there. I didn't run up there and dive into the back of his head. I did it face to face. He's over here thinking that we're gonna fight, and I'm like, all right, well, game on. Here we go. But your arms are still down. <laughs> like, there's no warning. But, but a headbutt is. A, is but is he a, shoved me. He shoved me, and I go, okay. And I walked out with my arms down, and then bap, and I just get him. You know, I <laughs> thank you, Ric Flair. You taught me that. I think that's much better than this situation. It's way better than this but situation. Did the guy see the headbutt coming? Hey, oh yeah, he did. No, he didn't. <laughs> he did. No, no he, he literally saw it coming. I mean, it was like for a split second, but he saw it coming. <laughs> He's like, wait a minute. He, is he going to kiss me? Boom. <laughs> that's what happened. Look, we're not trying to compare you to Attila. We're just no. trying to insinuate that you. You want to fuck with Gooch? <laughs> <laughs> You're about to throw the mic. <laughs> I can see it. Fuck these super numbers. We're never coming back to Vegas. I'm oh, com- no. I'm never coming back to this podcast. Fuck you. <laughs> Pete, turn around. I love that. I love that. He I'm co- going to get hit. I know, right? Well, he can't hit me. I'm a girl. That's right. Hello. Yeah. I can't I can't see Chris Franzek hitting a girl. Exactly. Like, that oh, I, I, yeah. that would, well, he would never. Pete's got lots no. of estrogen, but he's not a He woman, didn't sucker so. punch somebody from the high ground behind <laughs> God, him. What a bitch move. And then the fact that people were like cheering him on. Cheering it's like, after he did it. He's 
sucker punched him and you're like, yay, fuck that's, you. That's a problem because if any fans deserve to boo at somebody, it's when you see someone punch somebody in the yeah, back of the head like, from the top of a stage get, with the guy's back. Dude, turned. the only people that cheer on a sucker punch are people that have to get back home to their meth lab. You know what I mean? They're like, I'm going to burn Just my meth. You know what I mean? Ter- like I can close my eyes and see all the bedrooms with glow-in-the-dark posters. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. It's not. Glow-in-the-dark posters are cool. Okay. Same, I'm not even touching that. Yeah, the same <laughs> Cypress Hill hits from the bong blacklight poster. Fuck yeah, bro. <laughs> Fine with all that. No, sir, I don't. But here's his response on, uh, he says, man, I wish y'all could see everything I saw from my point of view. Of course, the videos only show me after I fucking snapped. Well, yeah. Yeah. The, the videos don't show these abusive motherfuckers that were choking my fans and power slamming them into the concrete. I like how he said these abusive motherfuckers. And he said this guy, he pointed out one single guy. And that's what he's now he's trying to blame the all the security guards. Bullshit, dude. We see right through your act. This is my favorite thing about when crazy people snap on camera is they're always like, of course, the video only shows after I freaked out. It's like, why would we have been recording before, dummy? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. What planet am I just going to preemptively record in case you snap? Yeah. First off, like, did you want somebody right there by the who's going to record the security guards, by the way? You know what I mean? Let me make sure that I keep an eye on these guys. Right. So this is also um, Kelsey Thomas from uh, Channel Three News reached out to uh, to Mr. Franz over here, and she said, "Hi, this is Kelsey Thomas uh, from the NBC station in Las Vegas. Can you DM me looking to interview about last night?" And this is his response: "I'm sorry, Kelsey, but I'ma have to pass. Snitches get stitches. There's a video. There's a video. There's no. What are you talking about? Your fan put the video out. I'm so- actually I'm actually surprised his response wasn't this." <laughs> It's like, come on. Who's snitching, bro? There's a video. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Snitches get stitches. He, it's, I don't understand. Yeah, what is this? Is this New Jack City all of a sudden? Oh, you know? man. Who, oh, this shit's uh, so bad, my dick's hard. Who is this person? <laughs> snitch, like he's, first of all, is he saying that Kelsey is a snitch? Is he a snitch? Yeah. Is yeah. Instagram a snitch? It makes no sense. Yeah. Like, you, you did it in front of everyone. There were witnesses. Right. Like, what are you talking about? And you were snitched on already. There's a video. Maybe yeah. maybe he meant, I'm so dumb that if I do this interview, I'm going to incriminate myself. So, snitches get stitches. I'm uh, not going to no, do the interview. He just, yeah, he, yeah, that's what it was. He wasn't definitely <laughs> saying that to himself. Maybe I'm so dumb I should do this. But he is that dumb. And, and keep in mind, he didn't choose to DM Kelsey that. He put that on the internet for everybody to see yeah. his response. No, let me respond to you yeah. here. He could have told her snitches get stitches in private, but nah, he wants to throw that out there. Yeah, Jesus Christ. His fancy to get home in color. Ugh. I mean, it's like, he seriously. Just, he just reminds me of like the open mic comedians and musicians that post on, on Facebook that are like, you didn't support me now. You ain't going to support me when I'm at the top. Yeah, like, you ain't going to be you in my crew. You like, don't like me at my worst. You, you better love me. You get, if you love me at my best, you better love me at my worst. Could you be Ba-boom. a human cry for attention more? Yeah, and, exactly. and he's right. We didn't support him at his best or his worst. And, <laughs> and dude, don't no, come no, back no, to he, Vegas. We're cool. It. We're cool with you yeah. missing Vegas. Yeah, we were just totally happy not knowing who the fuck you were. Now we have to support you at your worst. No, actually, we're not going to do that. Not at all. <laughs> all right, guys. So this September, Revocation released their new album, The Outer Ones, via Metal Blade Records. The Outer Ones sees Revocation pushing both the death metal and progressive elements of their signature sound harder than ever and can be pre-ordered now at metalblade.com slash revocation. Be sure to also catch a man on the road this fall for their first U.S. headlining tour in several years featuring Exhumed, Rivers of Nile, and Yatwa. As support, guys, make sure you pick up the Outer Ones. And with that, let's talk about the Outer Ones right here. Here's my interview with David Davidson of Revocation. 
everybody what is going on it's better with the metal sucks podcast on the phone i got dave davidson of revocation we are here to talk about your new record the outer ones your seventh which is coming out september 28th now the title of this record is an ode to hp lovecraft's universe um let me ask you this if you were a character in that universe you had to write yourself in one of the short stories or stories what would you do and who would you be Hopefully I wouldn't be like eaten or possessed by one of those like cosmic horror creatures. Maybe could I just be one of the entities? Like that'd be pretty cool. I, I think guess. so. Yeah. Can I be an outer one? You could be an outer one, yes. I punish people for, for writing uh bad riffs. That's what, <laughs> what would their punishment be? Let's let's go from the scale of, of horrible riff to uh copycat riff to mediocre riff. Mediocre I just sort of drive you insane, I guess. You know, you sort of wind up like in an asylum somewhere. Copycat riff. It's the same thing, but uh, your fingers fall off. <laughs> and then uh, really bad, t- like atrocious riff. Uh, I just I just eat your soul. You're done. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're doomed forever to be like a, a, a mindless uh, sort of guitar slave that you have to just like shred over and over again in, in, in outer space somewhere. Dude, you're mean. That's so that's brutal. I'm an outer one. I mean, like, I mean, you know, the, love, the Lovecraftian entity. This is not me doing it. I mean, if if I was like a Lovecraftian, you know, demon, then you know, I'm not going to be half-assed with it. I gotta, I gotta go hard. I see somebody from that movie Gravity just kind of floating away with a guitar and no soul, and I'm like, that's their punishment for writing that Limp Bizkit song. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> West Borland's good. I'm, I'm, but you know, that was, that was the first band that comes to mind. But anyways. So um, evil in horror novels and books is, is very desirable. Like you just said, it's fun to talk about like this kind of science fiction-y way. Why do you think that is so appealing for us? I think just in, in general, it appeals to just, yeah, just, just people in general. Like Lovecraft had a good quote about that. He said, the oldest and strongest emotion of, of mankind is fear. And the strongest type of fear is fear of the unknown so it's that that unknown element like sometimes in lovecraft stories he'd be very specific but there'd be other times when he'd be like intentionally vague and i think he wanted the the reader to sort of fill in the the blanks of their own mind and that's when your your imagination can really run wild and freak you out you know oftentimes like when you go see a horror movie yeah you're terrified of what you see but if the, the movie is is truly disturbing for me anyway i find the shit that happens that's that's more scary is like when i'm home in bed at night and i'm like you know picturing the you know some someone standing in the corner of my room or the thing from the movie like under the bed and i think that's when your when your imagination starts to really kind of take over and that's the really sort of horrifying part no is I, that unknown, right you know it doesn't have to always be spelled out for you and i mean who knows you could maybe apply that to evolution or this or that i mean you know they say like fear of the dark right it's like you know has like its roots in there was more predators out at nighttime right you know so you're more likely to be eaten or whatever like uh foraging in the wild at night than during the day so i think it's it's probably uh, married to uh to specific sort of evolutionary uh, mechanisms or whatever but uh, nonetheless it's, uh, it's it's still interesting how it how it plays out in literature and movies art completely agree fear, fear is the ultimate uh way to sell people too i've always felt that way in in mass format because we all like you said we all feel it you know yeah, we all react to it and i think uh, people people recognize that 
Completely, man. So I do remember I had a, I, I grew up reading Lovecraft, Clive Barker, and just kind of all the horror writers and, and the short stories, even Stephen King, Dean Koontz, you know, when I was, when I was younger and, and I had a lot of friends that were kind of religious and they would tell me their morals and, and then from their, you know, from the Bible, I actually never read the Bible, but I remember it being like, you know, what's funny is that all my horror genre morals are the same. Did you ever get that vibe? Like, I, I feel like I, I've learned how to be a good person through evil, you know, stories because the yeah, heroes guess, always had the good morals. Do you, do, does that relate at all? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I guess you know what not to do. I mean, with, with, with Lovecraft stories, even if the, I think you can learn a lot from the, not necessarily the hero, but sort of what, what happens like his, his, there's like an allegory to the, the idea of like, you know, you're, you're messing with forces sort of beyond your control. Right. I mean, how many Lovecraft stories start with this, you know, human being who, you know, he finds this old book and he wants to kind of like control something or, 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 or gain power or wealth through like some kind of ritual or magic. And then through that exploration of, of dabbling in, in forces that he can't control, he ends up like, you know, undoing himself or, 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 you know, an entire sort of, you know, he puts the whole world at risk. Right. And I, I think that's definitely sort of a critique of, of society. Right. I mean, there's, there's the, the, the good exploration of, of into the sciences that has, you know, led to the, the curing of disease and, uh, you know, vaccines and all that kind of stuff. And then there's the, you know, people who invented the atom bomb, right. You know, like, uh, what was it? Oppenheimer, you know, mm-hmm. as soon as he invented the thing, he was like, Oh shit. Like now I am become death, like destroyer worlds. Like I wish I never invented this thing, but you can't put the genie back in the bottle. So it's that kind of, you know, trying to, uh, dabble with forces that you can't control and then all of a sudden now we've got like a, a nuclear arms race that's like never going to go away thanks oppenheimer <laughs> <laughs> i know we're still talking about you here on metal podcasts all these years later um and <laughs> although like we said the outer ones is an ode to a fictional universe to like an hb lovecraft type of universe um and great as our sin was more like a historical thing so but lyric the lyrical aspects are still tied kind of to the current themes do you do you agree with this on on the outer ones as well? You can look at fiction as sort of a reflection of of society, right? I mean, we're all products of it, so it's natural that some of those themes that I think affect everybody, you know, will will come out whether you're whether you're writing sci-fi or you know horror, or this or that. I mean, that they're there's themes that reoccur for a reason because sort of history sort of keeps like repeating itself, and sometimes they're they're just uh, a means to escape from uh, reality. And I think other times they could be uh, warnings, right. That are maybe veiled or thinly veiled. You find an old book in a, in a chest, right. With a weird sort of devilish insignia on it. Just leave it alone. (laughs) It's got the face of the Necronomicon. You just walk away. Exactly. If the, if the, it's made out of skin, right? You know, probably don't, you know, read the the passages uh, backwards in that thing while you got a bunch of candles lit. It's probably not going to bode well for you. Let me ask you about reading in general, because that's something that is a big passion of mine. But as as I grow older, it's it's so hard to somehow, you know, focus and stay away from everything. Like I almost have to lock myself in a cupboard, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm too tall for that now, so it's it's tough. <laughs> But the, the point is, is, like, for you, like, as a creative, with a person with a creative mind, how important is reading to you um, in order to create? It's it's definitely important. I, I mean, I wish I, I read more 
because um, so often I'm if I'm reading something, it's more of like you know having to do with like you know reading music or whatever, which is obviously different. But yeah, when I'm when I'm working on lyrics, looking for inspiration, I mean, yeah, I think look no further than than, than literature, and um, certainly can kind of get the creative juices flowing, especially when you're reading different writers because they're going to have different styles of how they're going to describe things. And when, when I'm putting the pen to the paper, it's like, it's kind of cool to just like, if you're you know, learning someone else's like lick so that you can kind of put it into your own musical voc vocabulary. You know, when you read other writers, like how they craft a story or just the descriptive adjectives they use, it's like, Oh, that's, that's cool. Like, um, I mean, obviously you want to do your own thing with it. You're not, I'm not like ripping off like passages, like from, from Lovecraft, like, directly but like i'll take like the general gist of what he says and then and then try to come up with my own imagery sort of around that or or use my own words to to describe something that you know is happening in a particular story or whatever in in, in my own unique way so yeah it's definitely important you know i think you know more people should you know i think people should read as much as possible but um there's so many distractions nowadays obviously you said it yeah it is so, it, I, I've never felt like I've read the same page more in my life than these days. Every time I start a book, I'm like, what was that? Okay, back. Okay. Like everywhere I go, there's like, a, I have to go like find a tree and then ants are crawling on my legs. It's, it's, right, it's yeah, like, one of the most. Turn your phone off kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, you know, people still read stuff. They're just sort of reading like, you know, like the, the three paragraph long, like rant from their like coworker on Facebook or whatever about the same thing over mm -hmm. and over. So like it's sometimes it's. Yeah, more beneficial just to kind of unplug and and you know, read some real literature, or you know, whether it's it's fiction or you know, based on a true story or whatever. It's it's, it's good to kind of get away from that. I, I feel the same way about chamber that social media can can often you know present. Like that's why audiobooks, even though I enjoy them, I, I always feel like I didn't read the book. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think you know, there's there's probably something to be said for that. I mean, I mean, we all learn in different ways, and I and I think we, you can get more out of certain things, or or less out of certain things, but depending on how you receive that information, right? So, and I think every person's different, right? So, there's some people that they, some people learn by watching others, right? Some people learn by doing it themselves. Some people learn by reading about it in a book. I mean, I've. I've gathered that just from, you know, I, I, I teach in my downtime from tour. So like with different students, it's like, you know, sometimes they got to play it back or sometimes they can get it just as well. If they watch someone else do it, like maybe they don't have the physical you know, technical ability to do it just yet, but they can kind of understand the concept and then they can go practice it from there. So everyone's, everyone's different, but you know, I would, I would venture to say like, you know, like actually reading something rather than like something being read to you, you're, you're maybe going to retain information in a different way. It's like, you know, if you, get drunk before you get, you know, before you, while you study for a test, you should take the test uh, drunk from what I've heard. Yes. True, true story. I remember I, I actually took a geology test in college and I didn't open the book at all. I went to a bar across the street out here. I'm in Las Vegas. It was at UNLV. I took two shots and I walked in, I got a B. <laughs> and, and you didn't read the book at all? Dude, I didn't. I mean, I was in class. So whatever information I retained was just from sitting in the class, but I virtually oh. did not study and this was like the midterm and i was like All right, oh, that's that yeah that's a little bit that's just impressive what i was talking about is a little bit different it's, if they say like if you actually like if you study for a test drunk oh like really it, it the, in that part of the information like will go into a different part of your brain so like when you take the test you'd be better off taking the test drunk than taking the test sober 
it's not it's not saying you should study for a test drunk. It's just saying like it 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 will be in a weird part of your brain that you'd have to like uh I'm you know probably explaining this really poorly, but like it would be easier to access that information and recall it if you were drunk than if you were you know stone sober taking it. I don't think they mean like you should get like blackout wasted, but like if you if you were you know had like a few beers while you were doing it, you should like in theory have like a few beers before you take the test. Um, but obviously the best thing to do would not to drink at all, but like, you know, I don't know, college, right? College, yeah, but, man. Yes. Kids, you heard it from Dave. Yeah. I, at the same time, <laughs> I, I read that statistic like a long time ago, so it's possible that's like totally made up in a lie. So I don't, I don't want to, you know. Is it the totally made up in a lie thing? Isn't that just kind of how life is in conversations and things? I always feel that. I feel like, you know what? I, there's all these things that I pertain that I remember really well that there's zero truth to. And then as time progresses, I add to those things and I still speak them out. You know, like, <laughs> so it's like I double on a lie, but it, to me, it was true. Like, you know, it's just one of those things. I think that's what's great about conversation and not having everything subjective, honestly, right? I mean, I guess we live in a world where everything could be seen as subjective. I mean, I, I think there needs to be, at a certain point, some like objectively true facts out there right because because otherwise yeah we're just like living in like a world where you know like oh well it's it's true for me like well no like you know gravity is true for everybody like like we have to like there has to be certain things that we can all sort of agree on so that we're not constantly because you can debate anything i mean i think that happens like a lot like in politics and stuff like that right where it's like you know you have like a set of like sort of facts that are maybe like objectively true, but then like, you know, people kind of argue over them and then it just becomes like this subjective sort of back and forth. And, you know, a lot of it is just, you're letting sort of human emotion, uh, override, uh, you know, just sort of, you know, what, what is true and, and what is false, but I guess it's like a natural thing, right? I mean, like it doesn't surprise me that that happens, but at the same time, it might not be the most, uh, most productive when you're talking about, um, you know, things that are important. Uh, for society but yeah i mean if you want to like you know embellish a story here or there uh to make it more interesting then you know i think it's like an old irish proverb like you know never let uh what is it never let facts uh, get in the way of a good story or something like that i like that proverb even though i don't like <laughs> lying so it's i see i just contradicted myself a little bit but you know you know when you were, when i was younger people used to say to me they're like dude you know, like I remember I had, a, you know, an, an older person there. He's like in the 70s. Like, I feel exactly the same as I was six when I was 16. I'm like, there's no possible way that I'm going to feel exactly the same when I'm like 30, you know, than I, when I wasn't 16. But then when I watch these politics things, I'm like, no, no, those are 16-year-olds. They're exactly the same. And it's like, I feel exactly the same. So in essence, I do feel like when our brain starts developing, whatever age we decide to make it stop, say it's 25 or whatever, that, you know, you still act the same way no matter of your age. Do you, do you feel there's some truth to that? Yeah. I mean, I think some people just, you know, I think it's called like not growing up. Right. I mean, some yeah. people just stay in that sort of mindset. Again, it's the, maybe it's like an evolutionary trait, right? I think like the human ego will go through great pains to, to not, uh, feel the pangs of, you know, whether it's, you know, shame or rejection. So we kind of like make up all these like lies to tell ourselves or insulate ourselves like with other people that are going to have like the exact same viewpoints so that we don't have to kind of, you know, really critique ourselves or look analytically at, 
you know, certain viewpoints that, that might shake up our sense of identity, right? Like identity is such a, an important part of like the, the id, right? Or the ego or whatever. So, um, yeah, I think people will go through you know, tons of, you know, mental gymnastics to not be confronted with certain things. That's, you know, just to bring it back to music for a second, mm-hmm. like that's why music so much, because I believe John Coltrane said, like, that might be, you know, getting this backwards, but he said something like, you know, you can improve as a as a player by improving as a person like music is in order to get better you have to constantly critique yourself you know like you play something and like you can't just be like yeah that was awesome like you kind of have to always think like did that suck like how can i make that better like and that's how you you improve as a musician so especially with improvisation and all that kind of stuff you have to constantly kind of you know, critique yourself and refine things. I mean, you don't want to do it to like an unhealthy way where you're, you're so concerned that you'll never like leave the house for fear of like, you know, blowing it. But like, you know, at a certain point you have to take like that risk and go out there and say like, okay, like this is sitting well with me or this sounds good. Like I can stand by this, but you certainly have to you know, have that element of, of, of self analytical thought that will make you a better uh, musician and push you to get to that next level. So I wish more people had that just sort of like in general, but you know, at the same time, no one wants to be told they're wrong or to be made to feel ashamed. So the, uh, that's where the, the ego comes in, I guess, to kind of shut that right down. And kind of, t- it takes us kind of back to fear, personal fear. But as you brought up Coltrane, I, I know that you spent a lot of time studying the language of jazz. The instrumental track on this record was one of my favorite tracks on the re- record. And uh, forgive me if I say it wrong, Ex Nihilo? Is that how? how yeah. Okay, I, I got it. I'm very bad at pronunciation, so I'm, that's a pat on my back. But there yeah, seems it's to be. Latin, so. It's Latin. Okay, see, I can mess up Latin. I'm okay with that. It means from, from out of nothing. From out of nothing. That's cool, yeah, man. So uh, is, is there a strong influence on you studying that language of jazz on that track specifically? There's, there's definitely, I think, some. Some, maybe some jazz voicings on there, like maybe in the beginning. Obviously, jazz has like a lot of syncopation, and 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 rhythmically, that song has got a lot, a lot of different things happening. So it's it's hard for me to think point to an exact section, maybe um, of of that song, or just sort of stuff in general. Because I try to learn this language and and have it seep in in more of a natural, organic way. I mean, I'm I'm constantly working on my vocabulary and and constantly refining my my technique just to just to try it because i mean jazz is so difficult and you know, the improvised nature of it like you have to think so fast and it's not just about like necessarily like making the chord changes it's also about like how do i make the chord changes sound good right how do i make it sound musical right you can learn all these sort of theories like you know okay you can do this over that chord but you know it's not just like any combination of those notes will work you have to like make melodies out of it so you know you work on all that stuff so that hopefully you can just get little sparks of inspiration that will come out like in, in different ways. But yeah, I, w- I would say there's, there's maybe like a little bit of an influence of, of jazz, maybe across all my songs on the records or, 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 you know, maybe across multiple songs just because, you know, I can maybe point to a solo here or there and say like, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have maybe phrased it that way had I not been working on these types of things like in, in like an improvised setting. So I mean, it's obviously a death, you know, progressive death metal record at its core, but um, I think little bits of that language have been seeping into my playing more and more throughout the throughout the years. Now, let, let me ask you this, because I, I love to have people listen. I, I've said many times on the show before, the, the best musicians, I think, alive are in metal and jazz. I really feel that way. 
And those are also the hardest um, to sell to people. You know, you have to have a real desire to be patient and learn, you know, the music. So, so I like to promote other forms of music that I think are similar. So what, in, in your opinion, what jazz artists are you most into these days that you would kind of recommend to people who haven't actually delved into that genre? It's, it's tough because like, I kind of like jump back and forth on the, on the timeline. Like, like right now I'm listening to a lot of Charlie Parker. I mean, he was sort of the, one of the originators of, of, of bebop, right? So like he's, I mean, we're going back in time there, but I mean, I also listen to like modern guys, but I, I would say like, look at the timeline of jazz, just like if you should look at like a timeline, I think of, of any genre, like, you know, you should know like black Sabbath were some of the originators of, of, of metal. Right. And like, you should know why that's important. Just like you should know, like, you know, the importance of like Judas priest and iron maiden that, that came after them. Right. You know, uh, iron maiden added, you know, an extra sort of element of like a theatrical nature to, to the genre. Right. And then like, you know, early cannibal corpse, like how that ushered in the death metal genre and learning about like the Bay Area scene, um, and, like how like Exodus and Testament and all those bands sort of took took metal and, and kind of merged with punk to create this new thing. And it's I think it makes it much more rewarding because music doesn't just exist in a vacuum. Right. It's like it's sort of a continuum of like what was happening in the world at the time. So it's it, I think it's hard for me to, to you know, d- divorce myself from that that timeline. So my suggestion with jazz would be, you know, go back and, and start with like you know, Charlie Parker, let's say, right. Or Charlie Christian. And then, you know, listen to like West Montgomery. Right. And if you're a guitar player and you want to like hear or some of that, like, or, you know, Charlie Christian was a guitar player too. Um, Miles Davis, right. See, see how like he kind of bridged the gap between like different styles of jazz. And like, he kind of ushered in this whole cool jazz movement and also like, you know, hard bop and, uh, John Coltrane, obviously, um, and then just kind of go down the line like that and like down the rabbit hole, just like how I found out about different bands. You know, it's almost like you look at like with metal, like back in the day in, in, in CDs, like you'd have like, or, you know, vinyl records. Like I, I had CDs, I didn't have like a record player, but I'd look through the CD and like look at the thank you list. And a lot of times it would have like, you know, a list of bands that they would tour with and it'd be like, oh, you know, who's, Who's this band? You know, oh, check out Dark Angel because I I read you know them in a thanks list somewhere or whatever, and then you just kind of you know find all these different bands. It's it's kind of a similar thing with with jazz in, in terms of like mark down like the records and like listen to each player. Like oh, I really like the horn player, you know, the sax player on this record. Oh, who is this? Oh, it's this guy named Wayne Shorter. Like oh, cool. Like he was playing with like Miles Davis on this like plug nickel record that I really liked. Like, let me listen, let me go seek out like Wayne Shorter's discography. And then you're like, oh wow. Like who's the piano player on this record? Oh, Herbie, this guy named Herbie Hancock. Like, let me check out him. And then like, that's like a whole nother, you know, opens up a whole new can of worms. And so each one of these guys, like, it's not like they're, they're playing in a band where it's the same members throughout the whole career. It's like they're, they're, uh, in all these different configurations of quartets and trios and quintets and sextets that are like sort of morphing with different players, and you can find all these different uh, artists like that. So yeah, sort of start sort of at the you know, I mean, you can go back you know obviously before Charlie Parker into like you know big band like Dizzy Gillespie and stuff like that. But like you know Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker played together. You can you can check out some of those records. As far as like you know some modern guys um, to check out that I really like, 
Um, I mean, Kurt Rosenwinkel has been around for, you know, a minute now. So, I mean, I guess you could still kind of consider him like modern, but, um, you know, he's one of my favorites, um, as far as like, you know, really new guys. Like I actually went to go see Julian Lodge, uh, play last night. He's an amazing newer, uh, jazz artist. And he does like, you know, everything from free improvisa- improvisation to just playing standards, but he was playing with Mary Halverson, who's also another great, uh, jazz composer, she kind of makes sort of like almost like new music compositions. Uh, she's not like a traditional jazz guitar player, but she's definitely like rooted in, in, in some of those sounds. Um, Gilad Hexelman, Lage Lund, um, Adam Rogers. I actually started uh, studying with him uh, recently. He's just like a brilliant, brilliant jazz guitar player. Um, one of the best in the world, in my opinion. Um, you know, just, and just see what guys like Jonathan Kreisberg. I mean, there's, there's so many guys out there to, to check out and, and just see, and start to learn the language. So anyway, that's probably like more than you've ever wanted to know about uh, jazz guitar players and stuff like that. But you know, there's, there's just such a, a, a wealth of uh, knowledge there. So no, I think that's very important. I think a lot of people, because we're pit, like I know me, I'm I'm closed minded. It's like I love my metal, and there's so much out there that I just stay in my lane, and I just want to listen to my metal. But like, there's certain genres that I do really exactly like you just said. I want I want to know the Black Sabbath of this, and let me let me spend some time with that. I think that's important for us as as people, you know, to reevaluate and kind of learn something different, and then revisit what we love, and y- you love it more, you know, in a lot of ways in that in that aspect. So no, I think that was great, man. Um, cool. Yeah, it's not for everyone, you know. Just like you know, just like death metal is not for everyone. Yeah. So and it's it's okay to not like everything. For me, I don't know, I guess I just always have had a very open mind when it comes to music because sort of like selfishly I'm like, okay, like how can I learn this and then like how can I – I mean obviously you're, you're enjoying it for the art form that it is but like for me as a, as a musician, I'm like, okay, how can I take these ideas and like you know, incorporate them into my style in, in, in maybe a cool – clever way that's you know somehow like moving to the listener so i always want to get new it's like a chef that wants to learn like a new recipe or something like that right um so for me whether it's is you know jazz or rock or metal or classical i've luckily always had a pretty open mind to that kind of stuff but you know if, if you listen to something that's not your thing like it's okay not to not to like it but i would say like maybe at least try to expose yourself to it so that you have maybe an appreciation for Right. And like and even if you don't like something, that doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means that, you know, it's not your your cup of tea. And, uh, you know, you can still have respect for something and, and not have to, like, listen to it like every day or whatever. No, I agree. Sometimes like movies, music, uh, art, all that stuff, sometimes it takes a little bit of work. But then when you get through it, like you said, an appreciation that you, you viewed it or, or listened to it or knew it. It comes with that. There's like an accomplishment feeling like, hey, you know, I just watched Andrei Rublev, some Russian foreign movie from 1966. It was three and a half hours long. But when I was done with it, I was like, dude, I really feel like that was something special. That w- It was work to get through, you know. It wasn't what I'm used to, but that's the kind of stuff that I think people sometimes lose from listening and viewing and art in general it takes time yeah no yeah. for sure that's it, it's been explained to me in, in in similar ways by by different people where like you know it's like uh i was just this piano player named cecil taylor who's like this you know, amazing sort of avant-garde free jazz player like in his time or no i mean he's, he's still 
contemporary, but like I, I should say, early into his career, people didn't get where he was coming from, right? Um, because it was so radically different, and 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 now he's uh, lauded as like you know one of the great avant-garde uh, composers, players, uh, you know, highly respected in in that in those circles and like he was getting like an award i want to say from like nyu i was like watching this you know video on it and the, and the guy who was introducing him it was like the dean or something was was saying like you know you can't just like read shakespeare like without having any knowledge of like the language or like why it's important like you kind of have to have someone like hold your hand through it um otherwise it's not going to like make any sense and and that's i think the case with any sort of art form that's at a higher level of, 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 of learning, right? I mean, you know, most people can understand like two plus two equals four, but like, I don't know the type of math that it takes to make a rocket go into outer space, right? But like, nonetheless, like it's important that someone does and that people actively pursue that because that's how we map out the, the cosmos and learn a little bit about, uh, you know, I mean, we can gain some sort of knowledge about mankind and the origins of all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, like not to get too off topic, but I'm just saying like, you know, certain things that are more advanced, yeah, they, like you said, they require more energy. That sometimes they require a teacher to kind of like explain things to you. Like, you know, jazz is very much like an oral tradition. So like certain things like need to be kind of explained in different ways and like, and passed down. Um, you have to experience certain things live and in the moment, right? Like, you know, if, if you can't get into like a, a jazz album, like, you know, and you're listening to it, like on a CD, like try to go see it live because you're going to, get more of the vibe of like, whoa, I'm like in a room and these four guys are playing and they're improvising something. Like I'm, it's not a record, like this is never going to happen again, right? Like what these guys are doing is totally improvised like on the spot. And like, yeah, someone could record it, but like, you know, the, the performance I went to last night, I was saying I went to go see Julian Lodge and Mary Halverson, you know, they were like, all right, shut your phones off. Like no, no photography allowed. Like um, someone from the school was filming it, but like, you know, you're just sort of there in that moment and you're kind of appreciating like, wow, like this is just sort of unique onto this one time. And I've been to other jazz performances like that where like no one, no one was filming at all. I'm like, you walk out of there like, wow, like this is this fleeting thing. It's never going to happen again. And it's, and it's really kind of magical and special. But until you kind of experience it or have someone sort of explain the importance of it to you, I think it can be easily overlooked so yes yeah, it's, it's it's definitely important especially in today's day and age of just instant gratification like you know you, you the mouse like pressing the the food button right just like kind of comes right out like certain things that require more attention and more energy uh can be really rewarding in the long run and i mean we're getting I think, deep man we're getting deep on this podcast jesus we are man you know what uh and i'm gonna come right back to the outer ones right now because yeah I, I like where we're going i love it i love flowing it but I, I i like i said we're here to promote something we're here to talk about the outer ones a fantastic fantastic record but yeah dude i was gonna just i mean just to jump on top of that and then uh, uh i had a friend of mine who he took his lady to the temple of the dog reunion show i was supposed to go with him and i couldn't make it right and I remember she came back. She was, it was so boring. And it's just like, that's one of those things that haunt me forever. I was like, man, <laughs> she came back, said it was boring. I didn't go, you know, like, and that will never happen again. But like those, right. like, you know, the, those moments and we all have them where we just missed it. We're just like, man, you know, I've had a couple friends that I had free tickets to Pantera back in the day. And they're like, no, man, I, I got to study. Okay. You know, and then boom, you know. And that's like, we all have those, but like, that's what I always want to promote is just go. I know you think this is important, but this is going to be 
so much more important to you 10 days later. Just, just make it happen, you know, if you can. Um, right. And like you said, and, and if you're going to make it happen, appreciate it. Learn before you get there. We always got time, man, for sure. Real quick, back to the outer ones, dude. Um, I want to tell everybody one more time. It comes out September 28th, guys, on Metal Blade. I'm telling you, fantastic, fantastic record. Make sure you guys pre-order it um, today. But you did state that this is uh, your most death metal album to date. Can you uh, tell us uh, why you feel that way? I, th- I think the music speaks for itself. Um, I mean, if I were to kind of describe like a, a couple things, like certainly the the imagery around the the album is, is maybe the darkest to date. I think the the, the riffing and the you know the drums, the whole rhythm section in general, maybe has the most kind of aggressive, most death metal leaning vibe that we've ever had. And just from a vocal standpoint, like on the last record, I think that was the most singing we've ever done on a record with Great Is Our Sin. Usually the the trend is when bands start going down that road to you know sort of incorporate more of that or you know, you bring those elements in more. For me, the music just wasn't speaking to me in that way. So like there's there's no clean singing on the record. It's all uh, death metal uh, abrasive vocals. So from vocally, certainly that's, you know, probably the easiest uh, thing to kind of look at and point to and say, okay, this is the most death metal re- record because of the vocals or whatever. No, no clean singing on this one. I, I, I was kind of surprised. I was like, because, I mean, I remember from Deathless on, there was a little bit here and there, but... Uh, I don't know, man. I, I'm just, I've been living with it for a while, so I'm just such a huge fan of it. Let me, let me ask you this one more question before I, uh, I, I get you out of here. Like Recently, you guys did do an album listening party at uh, St. Vitus in Brooklyn. Um, yep. And that stuff always looks really challenging for me because I've been to bars where I try to get people to you know, uh, pay attention and stuff like that. Is that. Was that challenging for you guys when you play the record? Like it's a new record, everything's exciting. And I'm assuming, was it a free party or did people pay? It was it was a free party. It's, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a story about that because it's still pretty fresh in my mind because it was just last week. Okay. So we set up this listening party. In the back of my mind, I I, I knew I could kind of picture what the vibe was going to be. Was like what you're talking about, but just you know to remove all doubt, like Metal Blade. When I was talking to the, the press folks there, they were like, you know, just so you know, like no one's actually going to listen to the record, right? You know, it's just like a little promo thing and like, but most people are just going to go there for the cheap drinks and they're going to be like hanging out. But like any listening party we do, it's, it's more about like, you know, just a little extra press thing rather than people actually like listening to it. I'm like, all right, cool. That's fine. You know, like I'm just happy that we're going to do it in general and that like people care enough to even, you know, rent out a venue to, to put it on our fans though. Like the the way St. Vitus is set up, for those that aren't aware, um, you know, it's like there's the bar section of it, and there's like a venue. Like we played there before, and there's like this kind of this big sort of box room that's that's connected to the bar. And usually they just play the record in in the bar portion of it, and people are hanging out and having drinks, and yeah, like everyone's talking over it the whole time. Our fans were like adamant, like. Yo, last time we were here, it wasn't playing in there. Like, it was too loud. Like, you need to play it in both parts of the venue because we want to listen to it. And, like, I was, like, really shocked by it. But there was, like, legit, like, people moshing to, like, MP3s. And, like, people were, like, and, and, you know, there was definitely people hanging out in the bar. But there was, you know, probably just as many, if not more so, hanging out in the actual venue part, like, you know, not talking, you know, probably having like little conversations here and there, just like, you know, chatting with their buddies. But like people were like listening to the record and like I was sitting there watching like, oh, this is really cool. But the label was like, holy shit, we like never 
see this. Like, it's weird that your fans are like at a listening party and they're really listening to the record. So it was cool. It made me feel, feel really good. Like, hell yeah. Like, our, our fans are supportive and, um, you know, they, they, they came to a listening party to, to listen to the record. So it was, it was a really awesome feeling. And just one other side note to that, like, it was kind of weird because every time I, I see people paying attention to my music, I'm always on stage playing. So you got to think about you know, singing and you know, playing guitar and all this kind of stuff. So I can obviously see what's happening in the crowd, but I'm not really you know, necessarily focused on it. I kind of have to separate my mind from that so I can focus on what I'm doing. But with this, it was like people were listening to these songs that I worked so hard on for the very first time. And it was just cool to be like a fly on the wall, like watching people react to it. Um, and, and I don't have to worry about anything other than just like being in that moment and, and seeing people enjoy the music. It was really kind of like a special uh, moment. It was cool. Magic, dude. I love that. I love hearing that. Did, did seeing their reaction, is that going to um, affect what songs you're going to put on the upcoming set list on the headlining tour you're going to do? We've already got the set list uh, picked out. We're actually you know, doing like a whole like light show um, for this upcoming tour. Dan and, and Brett and, and Ash, I believe, have been like kind of programming like different songs and stuff like that with, uh, with this whole lighting rig that we got. So that's that's already been 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 chosen but uh certainly maybe for future upcoming tours uh, we might um i mean it was also like a small sort of cross section of people you know it wasn't like we were like uh it wasn't like a focus group or anything like that um and it seemed like people like different songs for for different reasons but um yeah i mean I, i'm hoping we're going to play maybe all of these songs at some point in, you know in, in, on the record cycle uh, or at least like you know over the course of the next you know several years like Okay, we played this one for a while. Let's swap it out with this one. But I'll tell you, some of these songs are fucking hard. So I get I get my work cut out for me, like singing and playing some of these at the same time. <laughs> nice, dude. That's what I like to hear. I like to, I, every time I talk to like a, a progressive metal band or a technical metal band, I like to hear, man, this is going to be really, really tough, you know. And then I like to be like the tenth guy in the tour because I know you're going to nail it. Then I'm like, all right, they're good here. <laughs> so, so, but nobody comes to Vegas. We uh, we're in a, we're in a weird spot here. Uh, not uh, not nobody, but I don't know. We we see why do, why does nobody come to Vegas? You know, from a booking agent. I know that's not your thing, but. Do you, it's, is, there, uh, is there too much going on out here? Is you guys got to compete with like you know Mel Brooks and stuff and Britney Spears all the time? <laughs> is that too much? Yes, it's 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 kind of in a weird spot like yeah. geographically, right? So it's like you kind of have to go out of the way for it, and then it's like it's you know maybe one of those cities where yeah because there's so much happening like you know on any given night in Vegas there's like a million things that are going on. Whereas like if you're playing like a different city like maybe there's one or two other things that are competing, but you know, it could just be you know difficult to uh, to get people to come out. Our last show in Vegas, I will say, was was awesome. We played like this outdoor club, and it was like packed, and and the crowd was really into it. So we had a blast, and you know, definitely would like to get back there that, soon. That was the Beauty Bar, everybody, and it was Beauty Bar. Yeah, that was that was a fucking blast. It was a good time, so, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, so many factors. It's not you know even about the band it's about the promoter and it's like okay you know the tour package you know costs this much and if the promoter's like not going to pay it then like you know you, you have to sort of see like where you can go to like make that guarantee um also just yeah like i said like routing in general like you know does it make sense to drive 12 hours out of the way to go do that or does it make more sense to do the show here when it's only five hours away so there's so many factors that um are at play when you're when you're booking a tour especially when you're thinking about like you know this whole caravan of, of dudes that are that are going out 
No, dude, I get it. And I've, because there's so much going on and, and like people can never know like, oh, there's an MMA fight and a boxing fight and, and the WWE over here. And now over here, we got the Atlas Moth playing. It's like, it's like, it's very hard to compete with the the nonsense that we, we have going on all the time. I think that's a lot of major cities, but like you said, we're out of the way. So, cause I've been to shows where I'm like, this is sold out. This is amazing. The band comes back on the same tour cycle a year later. Why is there only, why is there only like 15 of us here? What happened? You know, it's like, it's, it's we're just a weird spot like that. Yeah. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about like those different like sport events. Cause like, yeah, when you go to most other cities, like normally like, okay, let, let's say there's another metal show in town. Like, that's that's the, the most dreaded thing that you have to sort of compete with is, like, oh, there's, like, another death metal show, like, on the same night that's going to, like, draw people away. Unless there's, like, you know, a major sports game happening. But, yeah, in, in Vegas, it's like, yeah, there's this and there's that. And it's like, oh, like, I want to go to this show. But, yeah, like, there's, you know, this crazy, you know, MMA matches, like, happening that, like, you know, I got tickets for, like, you know, I'm never going to see again. Like, you know, and I, I spent 100 bucks on the tickets and I can't miss it or whatever. So... Um, there's there's a whole nother level of entertainment to to compete with. Ah, that's my hometown. I love you. I love you, but I yeah. hate you. <laughs> it's like well, everything. Just start, you know, throwing like you know, combining it. Like we're gonna have like a metal show, and then people are gonna like beat the shit out of each other like on stage. You know, so it'll it'll, it'll create like a like an MMA fight with with metal. Amazingly enough, as like I know that's like kind of a joke. I guarantee that would sell. Like that would sell big time. Right? Like Get that. me one of those casinos. Those guys have money to burn. You know, we'll, we'll be the backing. You know, some, some, most people come out to like a you know a, a CD. Like we'll we'll be the actual backing band. Someone walks out to. I love it. <laughs> and I'll also moonlight as an Elvis impersonator. You know, like uh, on the strip. You say that again. You you were an Elvis. I said I'll also also you know try my hand oh. at you know Elvis impersonations or you know maybe I'll be Spider Man or something like that. We'll uh, try some Dude. different ways to make the buck out there. Uh, yeah, I know I know a lot of people have those performers, and when you're walking like on the strip or downtown, like I know a lot of places have them. But uh, stay away from the ones in Vegas. I'm just giving you guys a heads up. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a couple. I'll never forget. I'm I'll give be trapped there. I'll, I'll yeah, give you a quick costume st- or something like that. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I'll give you a quick story, dude. And 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 there was a dude. He was Elmo, and he was like taking pictures with kids. And then we're walking past him. Takes the Elmo hat off, throws up in the hat while the pictures are being taken with the kids, and then puts the hat back on. <laughs> wow that's and dark that was that was what i saw visibly right here in my wonderful- i think you call that rock bottom <laughs> right? right uh yeah i think i think you call that, that whoever took the pictures like the mom was taking the pictures when like the vomit was happening i just oh, yeah it's just one of those things but yeah the true performers out here you know <clears throat> keep your distance guys anyway so <laughs> everybody one more time dave first off i want to thank you so much great conversation loved it outer ones a new record by revocation fantastic make sure you guys pick it up it's coming out september 28th headlining tour you're doing two uh back-to-back headlining tours if i'm not mistaken u.s and canada and then we're gonna do uh europe exciting guys make sure you come i've never seen revocation headline i'll be straight up so make sure you guys check them out on the headlining tour you can see a band do like 20 minutes five times you know but it, right. it doesn't feel like when the ticket stubs got the name on it. That's when it, that's when, yeah. So everybody right. get that ticket stub. So uh, with that, man, Dave, I want to thank you so much, dude, for calling into the Metal Sucks podcast. My pleasure, man. Thanks for the great, uh, the great chat.
Doesn't matter if it's punk, metal, or rock. Rockabilia is your one-stop shop for all band merch. They have over 500,000 items to choose from. Hard to find stuff that you can't get anywhere else with the largest selection of music merchandise available in the world. Doesn't matter if it's hats, shirts, autograph items, patches for your battle vest. Rockabilia will have you covered. And everything is officially licensed. Don't fall for the Chinese counterfeit band merch on Amazon or the targeted Facebook post promoting a bootleg product. If you support Rockabilia, you're supporting Supporting the artists. Been around since 1987 with 30 years of giving you the best memorabilia. And for special discounts, use the promo code PC Jabberjaw. So for your punk, metal, and rock memorabilia, there's only one place to go www.rockabilia.com. And we're back, guys. First song you heard is off. The Outer Ones, which is coming out September 28th by Revocation. That first song is called Of Unworldly Origin. Second song is the title track, The Other Ones. Fucking awesome guys make sure you pre-order that copy asap and uh guys before we uh, let you go again sad news uh, across the uh the metal rock universe whatever you want to say uh kyle pavone uh from we came as romans at 28 has passed away we don't have any details of how or why right now but that's really not important at 28 it's just another sad passing we've been dealing with it so much recently i know a lot of people are out there hearts are breaking left and right so we here at the metal sucks podcast and metal sucks we all to his family to his friends to his fans um rest in peace the metal sucks podcast is signing off this is the jabberjaw podcast network